chapter three of a popular history of the art of music from the earliest times until the present by w s b matthews this librivox recording is in the public domain music among the ancient greeks upon several accounts the development of the art of music among the ancient greeks is both important and interesting our word music is theirs it carries with its etymology the derivation from the muses the nine agreeable divinities who presided over the more becoming and nobler activities of the greek mind by music the greeks meant much more than merely the tonal art itself under this term they included pretty much all that they had of a liberal education grammar history rhetoric mathematics poetry and song all were included in this one elastic and comprehensive term music itself the art of tone sequence they called harmony our information concerning the general course of the development of music among this people is pretty accurate through a period of about thirteen hundred years the entire course of the greek history of music may be divided into four great divisions each of which was principally devoted to a certain part of the art these divisions begin at a date which we might take approximately at about one thousand b c when homeric poems began to be chanted or sung by traveling minstrels called rhapsodists the schools of rhapsodies lasted for about two hundred and fifty years when choral and patriotic song began to be developed in connection with this part of the history there was in the later portion of it a more ornamental and fanciful development of the smaller and social uses of song represented by sappho anacreon and others this period endured for about two centuries and a half and by insensible degrees passed into the attic drama which came to its maturity at the hands of aeschylus sophocles and euripides about four fifty b c here was the culmination of greek musical art upon the purely artistic and aesthetic side then followed a period of philosophizing theory and mathematical deduction which extended to the end of the alexandrian schools about three hundred a d the limits of the present work do not permit tracing this course of progress with the amplitude which its relation to liberal education would otherwise warrant or even to the extent which its bearing upon the present ideals of the tonal art would justify were not the range of subjects indispensable to even a summarized treatment of musical history so wide as it has now become but the general features of the different steps of the greek music are the following as already noticed the earliest traces of music are those in the homeric poems which are thought to have been composed about one thousand b c in these we find the minstrel everywhere a central figure an honored guest ready at call to entertain the company with some ballad of the ancient times or to improvise a new one appropriate to the case in hand the heroes themselves were not loath to take part in these exercises ulysses the odyssey tells us 
occasionally took the lyre in his own hand and sang a rhapsody of his own adventures several centuries later solon one of the famed seven wise men of greece composed a rhapsody of salamis or the lost island and sang it in a public assembly of the athenians with so much effect that an expedition was organized with solon at its head for its recovery which presently followed triumphantly many passages in the odyssey will occur to the classical reader in illustration of the position of the minstrels in argos in the earlier times for example odyssey one four hundred bryant's translation silent all they sat and listened to the illustrious bard who sang of the calamitous return of the greek host from troy at the command of pallas from her chamber o'er the hall the daughter of icarius the sage queen penelope had heard the heavenly strain and knew its theme down by the lofty stairs she came but not alone there followed her two maidens when the glorious lady reached the threshold of the strong-built hall where sat the suitors holding up a delicate veil before her face and with a gush of tears the queen bespake the sacred minstrel thus phimius thou knowest many a pleasing theme the deeds of gods and heroes such as bards are wont to celebrate take then thy place and sing of one of these and let the guests in silence drink the wine but cease this strain it is too sad it cuts me to the heart and wakes a sorrow without bounds such grief i bear for him my lord of whom i think continually whose glory is abroad through hellas and through argos everywhere and then telemachus the prudent spake why o oh my mother canst thou not endure that thus the well-graced poet should delight his hearers with a theme to which his mind is inly moved the bards deserve no blame jove is the cause for he at will inspires the lay that each must sing later than the homeric rhapsodists the hesiodic poems were composed and sung similarly by wandering minstrels who although wandering were not on that account lowly esteemed there were regular schools or more properly guilds of rhapsodists into which only those were admitted as masters who were able to treat the current topics with the light and inspiring touch of real poetry and only those taken as apprentices who evinced proper talent and promise the training of these schools was long partly spent in acquiring technique of treating subjects and the mastery of the lyre and partly in memorizing the homeric and hesiodic hymns it is supposed that these poems were transmitted for more than three centuries orally in this way before having been reduced to writing in hesiod's poem of the shield of hercules banks translation three hundred sixty five the general idea of the greek festive processions is illustrated there men in dances and in festive joys held revelry some on the smooth wheeled car a virgin bride conducted then burst forth aloud the marriage song and far and wide long splendors flashed from many a quivering torch borne in the hands of slaves gay blooming girls preceded 
and the dancers followed blithe these with shrill pipe indenting the soft lip breathed melody while broken echoes thrilled around them to the lyre with flying touch those led the love enkindled dance a group of youths was elsewhere imaged to the flute disporting some in dances and in song in laughter others to the minstrel's flute so passed they on and the whole city seemed as filled with pomps with dances and with feasts so again in the same poem two hundred seventy four there is a scene of a minstrel contest among the immortal gods themselves described by the poet from one of the scenes upon the shield of hercules and the tuneful choir appeared of heaven's immortals in the midst the son of jove and of latona sweetly rang upon his golden harp the olympian mount dwelling of gods thrilled back the broken sound and there were seen the assembly of the gods listening encircled with beatitude and in sweet contests with apollo there the virgins of pieria raised the strain preluding and they seemed as though they sang with clear sonorous voices as early as seven fifty b c we find the famous rhapsodist terpander summoned to sparta to sing patriotic songs in the hope of preventing a secession of this rather unruly state he accomplished his mission a circumstance creditable alike to the talent of the poet minstrel and the high estimation in which the class was held the application of music to patriotic purposes was no novelty plutarch in his life of lycurgus says that thales was famed for his wisdom and his political abilities he was withal a lyric poet who under cover of exercising his art performed as great things as the most excellent lawgivers for his odes were so many persuasions to obedience and unanimity as by means of numbers they had great grace and power they softened insensibly the manners of the audience drew them off from the animosities which then prevailed and united them in zeal for excellence and virtue again of the subject matter of the spartan songs he says their songs had a spirit which could arouse the soul and impel to an enthusiastic action the language was plain and manly the subjects serious and moral for they consisted chiefly of praises of heroes who had died for sparta or else of expressions of detestation for such wretches as had declined the glorious privilege about this time the art of choral song began to be much cultivated in greece particularly in connection with the cult of certain divinities especially dionysos and apollo by the term choral song we are not to understand anything resembling our singing of a chorus in parts there was no part singing in greece but merely a singing or rather chanting of national and patriotic songs in unison accompanied by the sitara the national instrument plato speaks of the imitative and semi-dramatic character of the choral dance laws two six hundred fifty five 
choric movements are imitations of manners occurring in various actions chances characters each particular is imitated and those to whom the words the songs or dances are suited either by nature or habit or both cannot help feeling pleasure in them and calling them beautiful about five hundred b c a room was rented upon the market-place for the practice of the chorus every town had its body of singers who sang and performed the evolutions of the representative dance appropriate to the service of the particular divinity to whom they were devoted presently competitive singing came into vogue in connection with the famous games and the art of the poet was taxed as well as the musical and more purely vocal arts of the singers themselves striving in honorable competition for the glory of their native towns in some of the festival occasions the proceedings of the choral songs were varied by the leader who improvised rhapsodies upon topics connected with the life of the divinity or upon national stories at proper points the chorus came in with the refrain which remained a fixed quantity being put in apparently at whatever points the inspiration of breath of the leader needed a point of repose none of these compositions have come down to us but the allusions to them in ancient writings give perhaps a sufficiently accurate idea of their nature the added interest incident to the fresh improvisations of the leader in this form of choral song presently opened toward a lyric drama thespis is credited with having been the first to place the leader upon a centrally located stage where he could be plainly seen and heard by all concerned now the recitations became more dramatic the choruses more varied the speaker illustrated by gestures the acts which he described he varied his style of delivery according to the feeling appropriate to the incidents represented the chorus meanwhile was not upon the stage but in a central location below and during their strophes they circled around the platform of the leader in a sort of mystic dance each man accompanying himself upon his sitara from this to adding a second speaker to the one already upon the stage was but a short step it was taken and the result was a drama with a chorus in connection in the earlier plays the speakers represented as many characters as necessary for carrying out the action later they changed costume to some extent the chorus meanwhile occupying the time with their own songs which generally had the character of a comment upon the action as developed at the moment the changes of costume were extremely slight merely a different headdress a mantle or some slight modification of appearance more or less symbolical in character all the dialogue was delivered in a musical voice and it is thought all accompanied by the sitara which every player carried in his hand the instrument was sometimes played all the time in the same notes as those of the song or chant at other times the speaker employed it for ritournelles for affording breathing time or points of emphasis once in a great while it is thought the instrument had a note different from that of the song in connection with it upon this point great uncertainty prevails 
at length about 470 b c aeschylus the great tragedian made his debut as actor and author and placed three speakers upon the stage besides the three principals each man had a suite if his station demanded such an appendage according to the ideas or customs of the times these however had the rank of supernumeraries merely following the speaker around but never taking part in the dialogue the principals each represented more than one character effecting some slight change of costume for indicating the transformation the stage was simply an open platform with three doors in the rear the actor entered by one door represented a prince at home from another a prince abroad by another door he represented a common person the chorus occupied the central place in front of the stage much in the same location as the parquet is now in the centre of this space was an altar originally dedicated to dionysos and an offering was probably placed upon it later the choreagos or leader of the chorus sat upon it and directed the movements of the singers much as the operatic director does now the theatres were very large being vast amphitheatres open to the sky but with an awning available over the more expensive seats the seats were of stone arranged exactly like those in a modern circus the theatre in athens is said to have held twenty-five thousand persons at first admission was free the theatre being conducted by the state the plays were mounted very expensively at times although with the absence of scenery or properties of an elaborate character it is not easy to imagine what was the use made of the vast sums reported to have been expended in different productions there was a rivalry of leading citizens each taking upon himself the expense of mounting a new play and striving to outdo the last before him upon the list there were three great dramatic authors whose names have come down to us as the shakespeare's of the athenian drama they were aeschylus sophocles and euripides all were great poets the first perhaps the greatest sophocles was a fine musician and an elegant poet and for many years he remained the popular idol all these men wrote not only the words of the plays but the music as well every phrase every character having been noted for musical utterance and all the choral effects carefully planned besides this he composed what was then called the orchestic whence we have our word orchestra by orchestic they meant an apparatus of mystical dancing or posturing and marching and certain gestures we do not know precisely what this famous orchestic was for no example of it has come down to us in intelligible form but from the descriptions of it by contemporary writers it seems to have formed the pantomimic complement of the acting with a certain added grace of art in grouping and posturing suited to attract and satisfy the eye of a public accustomed to national games and the beautiful conceptions of phidias upon the parthenon frieze thus as will be readily seen this drama was essentially opera for reasons to be hereafter detailed the music is thought to have been of slight tonal value 
this is inferred from the compass of the instruments and the general deficiency of the greeks upon this side although popular report assigns them a place entirely different this mystical drama leaving so much to the imagination and supplementing its actual representation by the help of chorus and a sort of sanctity derived from music lasted but a few years other causes were at work destined to bring it to a close almost immediately after euripides appeared the great comedy writer aristophanes about 420 b c this great artist was not simply a dramatist but also a patriot and a philosopher in several of his plays he satirizes the classical dramas effectively parodies their effects and in general pokes fun at them he was however a well-accomplished musician who might if he had chosen have gone on in the steps of his predecessors but the times were not favorable to this previous to the time of socrates orators in addressing popular assemblies lawyers in pleading cases and all public speakers appear to have made use of the sitara as a sort of accompaniment if for no other purpose than to assure themselves of securing a proper pitch of the voice but socrates drew attention to verbal distinctions made words the image of exact concepts and in general set in operation an era of scientific classification and purely intellectual development into which music could not enter especially in a form so poor upon the tonal side as greek art then was and always remained then came the great orators of whom demosthenes was the greatest who seems to have been the first to speak without musical aids and plato with his philosophy and after him the great aristotle the father of scientific classification and orderly knowledge to a disciple of aristotle aristoxenus we are indebted for the first really musical work which has come down to us it is true that the so-called problems of aristotle contain many of a musical character showing that this great master observed tonal effects in a purely musical spirit but he did not make a scientific treatise upon the art in his politics he has much admirable matter relating to music and its influence upon the feelings and its office in life has hardly been better explained than by him but music upon the practical side remained a sealed book among the lucid musical questions of aristotle's problems which if not by aristotle himself are at least the product of his time or the succeeding century he refers to the phenomena of sympathetic resonance he asks further why it is that when mesa the keynote of the lyre is out of tune everything is out of tune yet when any other string is out of tune it affects only the particular string which is not correctly adjusted one of his most instructive but also as it turned out most misleading questions was why they did not magadize sing in fourths and fifths as well as in octaves since the consonances of the fourth and the fifth are almost as well sounding as those of the octave this question appears to have led to the practice 
of what Huckbald called diaphony this question it may be remarked incidentally is conclusive that they did not use the third as a consonance in aristotle's time nor sing together in fourths fifths or any other intervals than the octave in spite of the talk about music by the greek writers musical theory in an exact form occupies but a small place in the volume of their works the earliest theorist of whom we have any account was pythagoras who lived about five eighty b c he was one of the first of the greek wise men to avail himself of the opening of egypt to foreigners which took place by psammeticus i in the year six hundred b c pythagoras lived there twenty years in connection with one of the temples where he seems to have gained the confidence of the priesthood and learned much of his philosophy and so-called musical science he defined the mathematical relation of the octave as produced by half of a given string the fifth produced by two-thirds and the fourth by three-fourths he also found the ratio of the major step by subtracting the fourth from the fifth this was the ratio nine to eight with this as a measure he attempted to place the tones of the tetrachord or greek scale of four tones which was the unit of their tonal system this gave him two major steps and a half step somewhat too small being equal to the ratio of two hundred fifty six to two hundred forty three the most important part of pythagoras influence upon the art of music was of a sentimental character from egypt he acquired many ideas of a musical nature such as that certain tones represented the planets and that time was the essence of all things it was one of the laws of his religion that before retiring at night his disciples should sing a hymn in order to compose their spirits and prepare them for rest the verses selected for this use were probably of a devotional character like what are now known as the orphic hymns of which the lines upon the next page may be taken as a specimen ambrose well remarks that such hymns could only have been sung appropriately to melodies of a choral-like character thou ruler of the sea the sky the vast abyss thou who shatterest the heavens with thy thunder peals thou before whom spirits fall in awe and gods do tremble thou to whom fates belong so wise so unrelenting thou draw near and shine in us various musicians and theorists later are credited with having made additions to the musical resources of the greeks and it was a proverb said of any smart man that he added a new string to the lyre this was said of terpander especially but it is pretty certain that the lyre had six or seven strings some time before terpander and that the form of expression was purely symbolical as if they had said of him he set the river on fire the first real contributions to musical science after the problems of aristotle already cited are the two works of his pupil aristoxenus one on harmony the other on rhythm 
these give a full account of the greek musical systems and are the source of the greater part of our information upon the subject from them it appears that the basis of their scale was the tetrachord of four tones placed at an interval of two steps and a half step the outside tones of the tetrachord remained fixed upon the lyre but the two middle ones were varied for the purpose of modulation the dorian tetrachord corresponded to our succession mi fa sol la the phrygian re mi fa sol the lydian from do besides these modes the greeks had what they called genera of which there were three the diatonic to which the examples already given belong the chromatic in which the tetrachord had the form of mi fa fi la the interval between the two upper tones being equal to a step and a half and the enharmonic in which the first two intervals were one quarter of a step and the upper one a major third we are entirely ignorant of the practical use made of these different forms of scale whether the quarter tones were used habitually or were glided like apoggiaturas or passing tones has been vigorously maintained on both sides by different writers the evidence seems to point to the enharmonic as having been the most ancient and the chromatic and diatonic gradually superseding it in plato aristotle and many of the greek writers especially in athenaeus much is said about the characteristic expression of the different modes but as they are mutually contradictory one saying of a given mode that it is bold and manly while another calls it feeble and innervating we may leave this for the antiquarians to settle for themselves after aristotle there were several greek theorists who devoted themselves to mathematical computations the favorite problem seeming to be to find as many ways as possible of dividing the major fourth or the ratio four to three into what they called super particular ratios that is to say a series of fractions in which each numerator differed from the denominator by unity they had observed that all the ratios discovered by pythagoras had this character one to two two to three three to four eight to nine and they attributed magical properties to the fact and sought to demonstrate the entire theory of music by the production of similar combinations the latest writer of the greek school was claudius ptolemy who lived at alexandria about one fifty a d in his work upon harmony he gives a very large number of tables of fractions of this kind his own and those of all previous greek theorists and it is to his book that we principally owe all the exact knowledge of greek musical theory which we possess among other computations ptolemy gives the precise formula of the first four notes of the scale as we now have it but as this occurred only as one among many of a similar character and is in no way distinguished from any of the others by any adjective implying greater confidence in it we can only count it as a lucky accident the eminence that has been awarded to ptolemy as the original discoverer of the correct ratio of the major scale therefore does not properly belong to him 
this will more clearly appear from the entire table of the various determinations of the diatonic mode made by ptolemy taken from his work edition by john wallace oxford sixteen eighty two pages eighty eight and one hundred seventy two he gives no less than five of his own forms of diatonic genus as follows the fractions give vibration ratios soft diatonic eight to seven by ten to nine by twenty one to twenty equals four to three medium diatonic nine to eight by eight to seven by twenty eight to twenty seven equals four to three intense diatonic ten to nine by nine to eight by sixteen to fifteen equals four to three equable diatonic ten to nine by eleven to ten by twelve to eleven equals four to three diatonic diatonic nine to eight by nine to eight by two hundred fifty six to two hundred forty three equals four to three among these there is no one that is correct or rational the proper ratios are given in the diatonic intense but the large and small steps stand in the wrong order it is in ptolemy's record of the determinations of didymus born at alexandria sixty three b c that the true tuning of the first four tones of the scale occurs this is it diatonic didymus nine to eight by ten to nine by sixteen to fifteen equals four to three thus it appears that it was didymus and not ptolemy who proposed the tuning of the tetrachord which is now accepted as correct it is very evident from the entire course of the discussion as conducted by ptolemy that his calculations were purely abstract he is to be reckoned among the pythagoreans who held that in time and number all things consist it was not until some centuries later that the happy thought of didymus came to recognition as the true statement of the mathematical relation of the first four tones of the scale and then only through the ears of a race of musicians following the great theses of aristoxenus that in music it is always the ear which must be the arbiter and not abstract reasoning or calculation the ratios of the major and minor third also occur among the calculations of didymus but here again they count for nothing in the history of art because these intervals derive their value and expressive quality from their harmonic relation while didymus and all the greeks employed them as melodic skips only and reckoned them in with a multitude of other skips and progressions without distinguishing them in any way the one characteristic instrument of greek music from the earliest to the latest days was the lyre in the oldest times those of homer and hesiod it was called forminx which is believed to have been the form so often represented on greek vases of a turtle shell with side pieces like horns an instrument having but little effective resonance the later form was the so-called sitara the most common shape of which is that made familiar to all by the pedal piece of the square pianoforte 
this instrument rarely had more than six strings and as it had no fingerboard it could have had no more notes than strings chapel the english historian attempts to demonstrate that certain ones of these instruments had a bridge dividing the strings into two parts thus largely increasing the compass but the evidence supporting this hypothesis is not satisfactory plato speaks of instruments of many strings imported from asia which seem to have been the fashion or fad in his day he disapproved of them very heartily but the terms in which he speaks of them show that he cannot have been very familiar with their appearance for it is impossible to make out what he is driving at there is considerable doubt as to the extent to which the larger instruments of asiatic origin penetrated the general musical practice of greece athenaeus in his banquets of the learned open parenthesis b period roman numeral sixteen comma c close parenthesis comma quotes anacreon as saying i hold my magadis and sing striking loud the twentieth string leucopsis at the rapid hour leads you to youth and beauty's bower most certainly the lyre of terpander had no twenty strings the so-called greek flute was a very reedy oboe or clarinet a pipe played with a reed the pitch determined by holes stopped by the fingers these instruments were so hard to blow that the players wore bands over their cheeks because there were cases on record where in the contests they broke their cheeks by the wind pressure the flute or aulos does not seem to have been used in connection with the sitara at all and the greeks had nothing corresponding to what we call an orchestra the aulos was appropriate to certain religious services and to certain festivals and it had a moderate status in the various contests of the national games but the great instrument of greek music the universal dependence for all occasions public and private was the lyre in spite of the meagre resources of greek music upon its tonal side this development of art has had a very important bearing upon the progress of music even down to our own times opera was rediscovered about sixteen hundred in the effort to recreate the greek musical drama and the ideal proposed to himself by richard wagner was nothing else than that of a new music drama in which the severe and lofty conceptions of the old greek poets should be embodied in musical forms the most advanced that the modern mind has been able to conceive upon the aesthetic side musical theory is entirely indebted to the greek nothing more suitable or appropriate can be said concerning musical taste and cultivation than what was said by aristotle three hundred years before christ for example he has the following politics eight see jowett's translation page two forty five the customary branches of education are in number four they are one reading and writing two gymnastic exercises three music to which is somewhat added four drawing of these reading writing and drawing are regarded as useful to the purposes of life in a variety of ways he recommends the study of music as part of the preparation of the fit occupation of leisure 
there remains then the use of music for the intellectual enjoyment of leisure which appears to have been the reason of its introduction this being one of the ways in which it is thought that a free man should pass his leisure as homer says how good it is to invite men to the pleasant feast and afterwards he speaks of others whom he describes as inviting the bard who would delight them all odyssey seventeen three hundred eighty five and in another place he says that there is no better way of passing life than when men's hearts are merry and the banqueters in the hall sitting in order hear the voice of the minstrel plato is particular that only the noble harmonies shall be permitted in his state he says of the harmonies i want to have one warlike which will sound the word or note which a brave man utters in the hour of danger or stern resolve or when his cause is failing and he is going to wounds or death or is overtaken by some other evil and in every such crisis meets fortune with calmness and endurance and another which may be used by him in times of peace and freedom of action when there is no pressure of necessity expressive of entreaty or persuasion or prayer to god or of instruction to man or again willingness to listen to persuasion or entreaty or advice these two harmonies i ask you to leave the strain of necessity and the strain of freedom the strain of the unfortunate and the strain of the fortunate the strain of courage and the strain of temperance these i say leave these he explains will be only the dorian and the phrygian harmonies in another place plato shows himself a disciple of the egyptian ideas of conservatism already mentioned and therefore when one of these clever and multiform gentlemen who can imitate anything comes to our state and proposes to exhibit himself and his poetry we will fall down and worship him as a sweet and holy and wonderful being but we must also inform him that there is no place for such as he in our state the law will not allow him and so when we have anointed him with myrrh and set a garland of wool upon his head we shall send him away to another city republic jowett three three hundred ninety eight in fact upon the subject of music plato is one of the least satisfactory of writers he has many noble sentiments which might well be printed in letters of gold and hung upon the walls of educational institutions today as laws jowett's translation six hundred sixty eight those who seek for the best kind of song and music ought not to seek for that which is pleasant but for that which is true in another place however he speaks of music as a kind of imitation he says that music without words is very difficult to understand laws ibid six hundred sixty eight all these inconsistencies disappear however as soon as we recognize the limitations of the music which plato knew upon its tonal side all the richness of sense incitation and all the definiteness of expression which come into our modern music through the magic of tones in key were wholly outside the range of plato's knowledge the musical notation of the greeks consisted of letters of the alphabet placed over the syllables to which the tones indicated were to be sung the letters represented absolute pitch 
and as owing to the variety of genera modes and croa the total number of tones was very large parts of older forms of the alphabet were also employed the whole number of characters thus demanded being upwards of seventy there was little or no classification of tones and the entire twenty-four letters were applied in regular order to the diatonic series of the dorian mode tones in the chromatic or inharmonic modes were named by other letters and the system was extremely complicated the notes of the instrumental accompaniment were still different from those of the vocal part no genuine example of this music has come down to us in reliable form and curiously enough no classical writer gives any idea of the notation of music all that we know of this notation we derive from alypius who lived about one hundred fifty a d athanasius kircher a jesuit of a monastery in sicily published in the last century the text of what purported to be a fragment of the first pythic ode of pindar see page sixty nine in the original the musical characters stood in immediate proximity to the words of the text at the middle of the third line begins the chorus of sitarodists as all the musical characters of the greeks indicated absolute pitch the student will discover the difference between the vocal and instrumental notation by comparing the notes in the early part of the ode with those of the same pitches noted for instruments later three other pieces of similar apocryphal character have come down to us it is likely that these melodies if not really genuine as related to the composition of pindar nevertheless belong to a period a little anterior to the christian era fragment of the first pythic ode of pindar according to the musical notation given by athanasius kircher f a gewertz la musique dans l'antiquité listen Pythic Ode note the amateur unfamiliar with the c-clef will obtain a true tonal effect of the above fragment from pindar by considering the clef to be g and the signature five flats this will transpose the piece one degree lower than above written but the melody will be preserved in other words read it exactly like the treble part of any piano piece only considering the signature to be five flats End of chapter 3